I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I don't know about you, but I could use some good news right now. The question I ask myself is, am I able to hear good news at this moment? We're drowning in news, fake news, cable news, news shows, news in airport terminals, news at the gas pump, news at your workstation, news on your smartphone. It's easy to block it out after a while. And then we're not able to hear even this best of news. But it's actually worse than that. For the last 20 years, many news outlets have discovered that an emphasis on news that is scary, maddening, and partisan tends to be good for the bottom line. It's good business to give out bad news. So even when good news comes our way, it's easily overwhelmed by a torrent of outrages. We hardly have time to rejoice in whatever good news does come our way, and frankly, it's exhausting. And the emphasis on partisanship means that we tend more and more to assume that news is biased one way or the other, and the notion that this news given to us by the angel is good for all people, and not just the left or right wing, is not easy to conceive. I think we tend to hear that the good news is maybe for us, who after all are a church on Christmas Eve, or that it's for some other group of people that's maybe more privileged than I am. But this is good news for all people, everyone. God's kingdom is not a partisan affair. There's one last difficulty on hearing this news, the one I'd like to explore. Isn't it old news? Is it really news? Wasn't Jesus born over 2,020 years ago? Or look at it this way. Even at our best and most joyous celebrations of Christmas, don't we tend to emphasize what is old? Don't we look forward to singing old carols, traditional recipes from our mothers and their mothers, old movies, old stories by Charles Dickens? And isn't part of what makes Christmas special these long-standing traditions? We love them precisely because of their venerable age. And we even celebrate Christ's death as wondrous because it took place in the deep midwinter long, long ago. Now, I mention this Christmas carol because it's actually relatively recent. It was composed about 1872. Uh, the, the lyrics were composed by Christina Rossetti in 1872, and the music was by Gustav Holst in 1906. So it's not really that old a tradition to sing that song. And I pointed out, because Christmas has been very fertile, as we all know, in generating all kinds of new cultural expressions of wonder, joy, gratitude, and mystery. So there is something about the Christmas proclamation that very clearly renews itself in music, in new art, new traditions. And for us then, the question is, how does this happen? Why does this happen? And it seems to me this happens in two ways. First of all, there's simply the wonder, and it really is wonderful, of God becoming a human child, somebody's son. Of God's son sharing with us all of the humble ways of being human, the humblest of ways. He, he is actually born you know, outside of the normal circumstance. He's not in a hospital. He's in a manger. Uh, but all the other things we experience, 
learning to talk and walk, having extended families, having neighbors, having tasks to do like cleaning the house or fixing a table or fixing a roof, going to market, having people who are beloved die, get sick, taking care of them. Mysteriously, the Son of God actually goes about all of this very routine human experience for 30 years, quite anonymously, content to be one of us, that's all, to be our brother. And this really is itself worthy of our wonder. We're often tempted, I think, to imagine that God has more important things to do than to worry about the affairs of our daily lives, things that certainly don't make the news, let's say. But if God had more important things to do, why would his son be doing dishes in a small town in Nazareth? And if doing dishes is something that is worthy of God's attention, it's potentially so important that God himself will do it, then the Incarnation is a totally revolutionary event in the history of the world. The union of God and man in Jesus Christ will always fascinate those who notice how shocking it is. And this will produce new expressions of wonder. It will be good news, as it were. And yet, I would maintain that this is not the heart of the newness of the angel's announcement to you and me today. Let me quote Pope Benedict XVI. He's paraphrasing Pope Leo the Great, his great predecessor. The Christian liturgy is not the memory of past events, but the actualization of invisible realities which act in the lives of each one of us. So here we are. We are at the liturgy of Christmas Eve. This means we are experiencing the actualization of invisible realities in our lives. The birth of Christ is happening now, today. How is it happening? He is coming to term and being born in our hearts, in our lives. This reality is always new because God is always greater than our understanding and he's always being born anew in, in new people. Every time we engage in the liturgy, we are opening ourselves by faith to a new and profounder understanding of God's project for us and for the whole world, for all people. The world's affairs can seem to dwarf our concerns if we pay too much attention to what the world calls news. And yet Christ is alive in us and wishes to share our life with us, to be a co-worker in whatever we do, however small and humble. What's the sign? The shepherds were given a sign that this was true. He's laid in a manger. That is, he's put in a container made for food. The sign that all of this is true is the food we receive at the summit of the liturgy, the Holy Eucharist, Christ's true presence, when he nourishes that life of Christ coming to birth in us. Our Savior did not simply come long ago and leave us a treasured memory. He's renewing us every day, becoming our King and Savior by the renewal of our minds and hearts. He is preparing our mortal nature for an immortal and eternal blessedness. And that is truly good news for all people.